0: Welcome, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast, where you'll fall in love with local seasonal blooms even more by hearing the stories from flower farmers new and experienced. I'm your host, Rochelle from Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. Welcome. Hi friends and welcome to this week's Flower Farmer Chat. I had such an honor to talk with my fellow Christmas tree farmer Kylie. She is the owner of Whitetail Hills Farms there in Pennsylvania where her and her husband are raising their son on their beautiful farm and they're growing pumpkins, Christmas trees, other fresh greenery and she's also supplying her local florist with dahlias wholesale. So I'm excited to share this conversation with you and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back friends to this week's Flower Farmer Chat. I've got Kylie from Whitetail Hills Farms out there in Pennsylvania. Welcome Kylie to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm on this journey to Hit every 50 states. So, every one of the 50 states. So, I'm you're my first Pennsylvanian. Why don't we start with you just telling us a little
1: bit about yourself, your farm, and your journey to flowers? I am currently a stay at home mom. I was in the dietetics field about eight years, and I was in a really bad DUI crash maybe two, it would have been two years ago now. When I went back to work, after a couple months, we just decided that with life and with the turn of healthcare, it was just time. So I've been home for, this is my second fall home. It's kind of where we're at right this second. I'm a grad student working as a mom and a grad student, and then we have our farm. That is a lot. So how do you manage all of that? I don't sleep, I think, is kind of what it comes down to, especially wreath season, things like that, that I don't think there's much sleep at all. And so you-
0: you mentioned wreaths what all are you selling so i know you've got the flowers tell us a little bit more about your farm and what you've got growing and all your sales
1: outlets right now we really specialize in christmas trees and pumpkins we do greenery so lots and lots of wreaths go out every year especially since our christmas trees are little we just started them a couple years ago and then i just kind of dove into dahlias this year just kind of learning and selling to a couple local florists just seeing i love to grow don't like to create floral bouquets. So that's been a lot of fun.
0: So just selling like wholesale buckets to your local florists
1: That's all we're doing right now. Yeah. Okay. And so tell us a
0: little bit more about that. How did you venture into that world of wholesale with your florist? And tell us a little bit about your community. I've found that if you live in a small town, which I'm tell us a little bit more about how big your town is, but oftentimes those florists have to travel miles and hours to get flowers and So local flower farmers are really becoming a saving grace in these areas where the wholesaler might be five hours away. So tell us a little bit more about your community, how big it is, and more about your florist.
1: I'm about a half hour from State College, like Penn State University. We're a pretty small town. I couldn't give you the exact number, but Sawyer and I just decided we would start growing dahlias for fun my friend who had a flower farm and it's now dissolved right now she was filling our pumpkins with dahlias last year and they were just so beautiful and sawyer and i we decided we were just gonna jump in and we bought tubers and it's been a ride but then we realized we were giving them to everyone we knew flowers and we just had so many so i reached out to a couple local florists and they've been eating them up they love it
0: that's awesome any lessons learned you've gathered from this experience for next year
1: I definitely could use a lot more in the creams and that's been something that a lot of the florists are telling me because they're using them for weddings. So I'm definitely going to start working my way into more of that. Oh my goodness, lessons. (laughs) So many. Make sure that you fence them because my chickens have been in so many times. That's been a nightmare. I feel like that's all I'm doing is trying to keep things out. But we also have about 50 peonies going in this year. So I'm really looking forward to kind of expanding into something I've always had a love for peonies so and so how did you initially connect with the
0: florist did you just take them buckets of flowers or was it a connection you had how did you do that initial sell
1: the first florist that I talked to um she is a member of my church she did my wedding flowers she helped anything I needed for wreaths that I needed to get wholesale she was getting it in for me so I told her that we were growing and I asked her if she wanted any and it kind of went from there and then I reached out to a couple other local florists and the one right down the road she was also getting me stuff for wreaths so it just worked out and now we're only selling to about three or four but that's all we really have flowers for right now. So hey,
0: that's a lot. So that's great. So how far away is the wholesaler from where you're at now?
1: The closest one is Bloomsburg. And that's Dylan's floral and they are probably two hours. So it's right outside of like Danville area. And I know that like talking to the one florist the other day, like say dahlias, you would think that they would be so easy to come by even something is to me is as simple as a dahlia after at least maybe a month ago, they weren't able to get them at all. So you think about that is our growing season is going into the end of October this year they were cut off in september from dahlias so what does that leave them with other than like she said she's buying from Ecuador and all these places and that's driving her costs so high exactly and the thing is what I've learned
0: so much myself through my experience but then also having these conversations by focusing on these flowers that are delicate and can't be shipped there's really a niche there so that's probably really exciting for you as you've opened this door up to flora cells about just learning more about what they're interested in, what
1: you can supply them with, and have they talked to you at all about that? Yeah, so um, especially the one, since her and I have such a good relationship, she's definitely interested. We have some established peonies, and we'll have more, of course, in three to four years, Which she's really interested in those because... Again, delicate flowers, they don't ship well. She's really interested in any kind of specialty, daffodils, teddy bear sunflowers, or another one, which is interesting because you see teddy bear sunflowers in every single store in the fall. But she said, especially in the whites and the blush and things like that, that she's paying so much money for them right now.
0: For sure. in the sunflowers, you know, they're such a prof, I think at least, a profitable crop. You know, they don't take much. And even this year when I've, well, over the last several years when I've Use like the white nights and the white lights from the Pro Cut series. A lot of my customers are like, I've never seen this color before. You know, they're used to that. Traditional yellow with a black center. So, yes. it's what's really exciting about flower farming is we're, and especially locally grown, is that we're introducing folks to all these different varieties that they've probably never seen before. So, that's super exciting. Tell us a little bit about your pumpkins. How did you get started with the pumpkins? And just tell us a little bit more about your pumpkin operation.
1: And this is going to get a little sad. Um, When I was pregnant, <laughs> I'm so sorry, with my first son. He passed away. I kept telling my husband I wanted to have a pumpkin farm for him and we made it happen the first year we didn't grow much because we had no clue we just tilled and planted seeds and we got a couple pumpkins within the same couple months we lost our son at that point I didn't know if I wanted to keep going what we were doing but December of that year I told my husband that I was ready to I wanted to get into Christmas trees too and we just started I started small I think we grew like 250 trees and lost almost every single one the first year and that was just poor placement we didn't we were just doing it like but this year we've sold over 800 pumpkins we grow about two acres of pumpkins right now we do supplement with i don't know if you know this pennsylvania we have one of the largest wholesale pumpkin auctions in the country i met someone from puerto rico i met because they all come up to it's buffalo valley produce auction especially i didn't realize puerto rico you can't grow pumpkins they're selling the mini tiny pumpkins for she said between eight and ten dollars a pumpkin because the growing season just doesn't and allow for it, the temperatures, everything. So we do have to supplement sometimes, especially our specialty field just did not take. We went to Yellowstone in what was it, the very beginning of June, and the crows just wiped our specialty field. So we were able to replant, but we just replanted with field pumpkins. But we had such a great turnout. The communities just loved what we're doing. Lots of just like really neat things. We had mini sessions here this year, and it was raising money for a family who lost everything in a house fire. Just the community's really pulled together and using this spot for good too, which is what we want.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry about your son. That's absolutely awful, but it's so just heartwarming to create something, to grow something in his honor, and that is such a fun story. And I'm sure as you continue to evolve too, you'll add different special varieties and tell us a little bit about your growing conditions because I think of like myself. I have failed miserably at growing pumpkins. This year actually grew a lot of them, but I'm really high in elevation. And so they just don't, like you said, with one different than Puerto Rico, but I just don't have that growing season here in my microclimate that allows me to have these big luscious pumpkins. So tell us a little bit about your growing environment and what you think has helped you be successful.
1: One downfall is we have a lot of clay. So a lot of soil amendment is huge for us, but Pennsylvania itself, we're one of the largest suppliers of pumpkins. So we we definitely have the environment. We have what it takes to grow pumpkins. We use um, TMAC for all of our fertilizers, things like that. So they've been helping us a ton just to really get into the market. And all of our pumpkins this year, they were amazing. Our field pumpkins, some of them were pushing 60 pounds. We had just beautiful pumpkins this year. And I owe it all to just them. And my husband, he's been great. He's a so he's never home but when he's home he's just doing everything i need to have him do and it just worked out i mean i couldn't have asked for a better grow this year for pumpkins they just turned out beautifully and they take up
0: a lot of space though so how do you kind of manage that and is it a crop that you have to rotate
1: into a different spot or just tell us a little more about that so we're really fortunate we sit on a 250 acre farm luckily we were given about 15 acres from his parents and then they have the rest all around us so We kind of can just pick and choose what we want to do, where we want to grow it. And that's been wonderful. We do plan on rotating because just... For the sake of the soil, we have the space, so why would we not? I know that it definitely is beneficial, especially for things like powdery mildew, different kinds of insects, just to let that ground go fallow a little bit. But even that, we're just learning as we go. I'm hoping that we can just continue to learn, but we're just so new to it all. Well, that's how we learn,
0: too, is just being in your space and trying stuff, and it's a, it becomes an instant learning curve. So do you do you like a you-pick, or how do you sell your pump?
1: right now we cannot accommodate you pick which is kind of disappointing we have a pumpkin stand down at the bottom of our road this year we it's, it's such a cute little setup i don't know if you've seen it we have a little pumpkin house we have the stand but the issue is right now our pumpkins are all I don't know if you can see how it just keeps going out behind me. We have everything behind our home. Great for working, but not so great for UPEC right now. So we're trying to figure out what our best bet is for that. And it's going to be the same with Christmas trees. Until we can figure out what what we can do, it's just going to be kind of, I don't know, a little store down at the end until we can make something bigger and figure out where we want it to accommodate these things, is I guess what I'm trying to say. So
0: tell us a little bit more about your roadside stand. Are you on a busy roadside? road or are you kind of in BFE like I am and how have you attracted customers to your roadside stand tell us a little bit more about it
1: we are in BFE we are in the road is heavily trafficked but not only by commuters trying to get to into town we really aren't a very busy roadway otherwise lots of four-wheeler traffic things like that and funny I mean we started our pumpkin stand last year the very first week of September, I told my sister, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to just set it up. And it worked. And it was just word of mouth. I put it on Facebook, we just kept telling people, we put some signs out. And we went from I think last year, we sold it still was a wonderful number, like four or 500 pumpkins. And this year, we're almost 900. So it just keeps growing. Um, People are coming from further away. A lot of it is just thank goodness for kind people and word of mouth. That's really exciting to hear
0: because, yeah, sometimes it's really challenging just to get. I know I get that a lot. Even I was talking to a lady the other day. She's like, you're just so far away. And I was like, I'm only 15 minutes from town. You spend 15 minutes to go to the grocery store. (laughs) Like, it's not that bad that's awesome that you've been able to pull in customers before we got talked we were talking about just transactions at the roadside stand and if you have a certain cell phone provider around here you get excellent cell phone coverage at my roadside stand and you can Venmo me but if you have an other cell phone providers you have challenged with that so are there any challenges that you've seen with your roadside stand do you deal with theft or have you been pretty successful in that
1: challenges like you said um, being in the middle of nowhere cell phone service and just any kind of reception has been really difficult the first couple weeks Venmo it would let some people on some people weren't Um, they would have to wait till they got home to try again and I know that that was frustrating for the customer and it's frustrating for us too because we don't know how to fix that like would an extender help or are we doing ourselves no justice at all we do of course have a cash box for honor system. People have been great with that. But theft, that was something that we had a little bit of it last year. This year, we did have actually a very, for me, large scale, someone came and took well over 15 pumpkins. And luckily, I was able to kind of trace it back and figure out who it was. Not sure, misunderstanding, not sure if it was what that situation was college student type thing. But that was really disheartening. I'm just glad we were able to catch it. We do have a security camera for that reason, because last year we had theft. We're right on a road that even though it's so busy in some ways, with just the four-wheeler traffic and things, we've worried. We don't want to see our stuff destroyed. We don't want to see, of course, theft. So we were we're trying to figure out what's best so that people can still really enjoy what we're doing. But then, like I told Chase, my husband, I feel like I stress all year because we're open dawn to dusk. I don't tear anything down. Even this weekend, we're a part of a Halloween trail and we have very expensive, like the big six foot skeleton horses going down and everything. And I'm already nervous about what if someone wants my skeleton horse. And I hate to think that way, but just because we have had some theft, it's scary.
0: Well, for sure. And you've worked so hard when that happens to you it's just so frustrating and you just feel defeated and it's not fair and I don't know if there is a solution I've talked to a lot of farmers and they've tried everything and you just you kind of got to roll with the punches a little bit but a lot of people have minimized their hours or even if they hired somebody to work at the roadside stand but that just increases the cost but I guess question for you are you we are you open all week do you just focus on certain hours?
1: So we are open seven days a week, dawn to dusk, as long as they can see we have lights down there, then we're open just trying to accommodate everyone. Because I know when I was working, some days I was working 12 hours a day, if I wanted to stop and get some pumpkins for my kids or for my port, it would be seven o'clock when I was going through. And that's one thing we've noticed is we've had a lot of people coming after dark, and they've all been wonderful. Of course, they've all done everything as they should. But last year, I did sit and I had manned hours some, but I felt like I was just wasting my time is so much just sitting down there when you're doing it all and
0: you're a mom and you're doing it <laughs> you're managing the farm it's like when you are stuck in one place for too long <laughs> it's torture i that's why i refuse to do farmers markets because i just i can't sit there i feel like there could be do i could be doing so much more it's why i love my roadside stand and even if i don't get the same amount of volume at the roadside stand as i would a farmers' market i can still be out there working and doing stuff while I'm selling at the stand. So um, I know you've just opened the stand for pumpkins, but are you thinking of adding the flowers as well?
1: So that, I'm not sure. I've because I like I said earlier I don't like arranging florals which is odd because I love doing fresh greenery. I love wreaths and they always turn out amazing but flower arranging is not my niche at all. I always tell the florist like I don't want it to be. That's why you do what you do. So I might offer like just basic wholesale like just jars of cut flowers down there but my friend she has the Spotted Dog Farm in Clearfield which is only about 20 miles from here. 20 minutes and we've talked about maybe collaborating and her bringing some flowers here me being able to sell some wholesale as much as I would love to have flowers all year or at least during my our growing season I know this is a really hard question for me because I just don't like I have no interest in new picks I have no interest in arranging so I don't know if I'm really the person for that
0: you know what that's amazing that you can be aware of what you like and what you don't like and um if wholesale is the way you're headed that's awesome too like there's so much less stress in putting a bucket of dahlias together and dropping it off at the florist than oh you gotta worry about color combinations and texture and all the things I think too like just assembling bouquets too you know it's more time that you have to take away from all the other things. So I think it's also important to acknowledge where our skills are and where we uh, will be more successful at. So that's awesome. So you mentioned several times about your wreaths.
1: So tell us a little bit more about your wreath offerings. Yes. So um, we are offering four varieties this year. Um, we have kind of like the most fancy decorated one. Um, it's going, it's just beautiful. Um, then we have a classic wreath, a very simple one with some holiday balls, and then, of course, we offer under-decorated which I still have to throw a bow on. I've had a couple of people ask about cemetery pillows. So I'm going to be working into that, some swags. And I'm hoping to try my hand, really get into some garland. I've had a couple people ask if I would be willing to do their porches, just completely decorate for fall and for Christmas. So I'm going to get into that, I hope. And that's just what I love. I love, I love the evergreens. I love creating with greens. And I don't know that vision of what I can do for someone else's porch. And that's just my thing so I'm so excited about it last year I hand tied almost 100 wreaths yeah this year I'm not hand tying them unless asked I do have a wreath clamp machine this year just the hours I put I felt like I missed out on Christmas with Sawyer and since he's such a big part of why I'm doing this and I just I don't want to take that time away from him and there I asked my husband I'm like what do you think he was like it's the exact same wreath it's equally beautiful so as long as and for someone like him to say that because he has no eye for that that makes me feel good in a lot of ways like he would say that's just as nice as it was last year
0: yeah that's the challenge is when you've got little kids too is just finding that delicate balance so you're basically doing like pre-orders for Reese but have you thought about doing like workshops or give all your customers the work and you provide the materials
1: so we were just discussing today I had one person ask about a Holiday workshop. They wanted. I think they're looking into wreath decorating. I definitely am not opposed to doing a couple workshops. Just trying to figure out a space, of course, because we don't really have that here. So figuring out where we could do it. But I would love to start getting into workshops. I love teaching. I love. I mean, that's what my master's is in is health education. But I want to be able to teach people and have them love what I'm doing just as much as anyone else. Like I want people to love it too and to appreciate the work that goes into it. Well, for sure. And I feel like. Around the
0: holidays you know people just want to get together with their family or their friends and just have that experience together and that's why I really think wreath workshops are so popular again like are there any potential local businesses that you could partner with to do a collab project that have the space is that something that
1: you've considered there are a couple local businesses um that I have been starting to speak with about hosting one here, one there, just to try to break into that market a little bit. So I'm hoping we can do a couple... I think it would be so much fun just to be able to, I don't know, just to watch people be proud of what they're creating. And it's so therapeutic to tie those wreaths. So to watch people just be able to zone out and just enjoy creating something, it's going to be so rewarding. For sure. And so with that said, are there any particular evergreens that are your absolute favorite? So my absolute favorite to work with for a wreath is Fraser. I just, I love the soft, I don't know, the softness of it, the tones. It just always works so well. I love combining it with cedar and arborvitae. Everything just always seems to turn out so vibrant. So that's kind of been my focus again this year. I get so much boxwood from my dad, which is wonderful because it's so expensive to wholesale. Adding all of these creative touches has been so much fun. And then adding in eucalyptus. And they just turn out so gorgeous. For sure. And you mentioned, I wrote myself
0: a note, you mentioned that you do cemetery pillows. Please explain. What are those?
1: (laughs) And I'm just learning about them myself because I had a lot of people ask last year. Some people call them, of course, grave pillows. They're very similar to a cemetery blanket or a grave blanket, except for it would just be a small decorative, almost like a pillow that sits right against the headstone. And it just, I I hate to say it must be more of an old school type because I, I don't, get asked for it a lot, but I get asked for it enough that it was pretty new to me too when I first started hearing about it. But it's just a really beautiful almost think of a wreath, but completely full. And it sits right against the headstone and it just kind of adorns the headstone with that Christmas feel. I have never heard of them before. There's a lot
0: of these older traditions that it just seems like they're kind of going away. Like corsages. Like I thought that was kind of a popular thing, but the kids these days are just like, eh. So I don't know, we need to bring back a lot of these just traditional, amazing things about celebrating life and just embrace them and promote them. So that's really cool. Are there any others that have been asked to do that have kind of surprised you like the cemetery pillows?
1: No, I and I think that it helps us get into a different market too. Right now we're especially flower farmers. Not that I classify myself as one, but it's definitely your your target demographic is a younger demographic. So moving into those more traditional options like cemetery pillows, I think will help secure the market for that older generation and maybe have them start appreciating not that they don't already, but what we're doing and seeing this new modern take on things. Any kind of like a mailbox hanger. I've been asked about those kissing balls of all things. I really didn't know that those were still a thing. But I've been seeing those coming back grave blankets, of course. And that those are the big ones that are kind of new to me that I've been really having to learn about and ask I've been having to ask florists who used to do them like well, how do you start and I would I'm excited to learn but it's definitely a challenge and it's something that I'm gonna have to really kind of create my own skill for because not too many people are able to teach me that's
0: the unfortunate thing is a lot of not I mean just talk about like techniques I think of constant spry you know she used so many unique techniques because they didn't have all the so-called innovations like foam or something to work with. And so they really had to use what they had to develop their flower arrangements or whatever it was. But unfortunately, all of those skills have somewhat been lost because they just fell to the, you know, the wayside when, you know, new innovations were created. So I just, I feel like the pandemic though just unearthed many of our interest in learning more about our history and some of these things that bringing them back to life because we're looking more for experiences and just better connection with what we're doing. And so I maybe this is a future podcast episode of just all the different things that have kind of been lost to time. You mentioned kissing
1: balls. What are those? Kissing balls are extremely new to me, too. I don't It's not even something I'm diving into this year because I've been asked, but timing is never on my side. So until I can figure out truly how to do it, I want to really dive into it more and learn. But from what I've gathered, especially on a lot of the websites I've been looking at, you're truly just using a wire frame ball. and, And as you're filling it with evergreens, it's creating a ball shape and then they're hanging them on their porches. The traditional aspect, I do not know. I've been meaning to ask my mother-in-law because I know that that's something that she would definitely understand more, but they have been... Becoming a huge request again Which is just kind of unusual to me I don't know if it's Well, I'm looking right now They symbolize love and devotion I'm not But I don't really understand the rest I guess it's like mistletoe Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking about Like, is it like
0: mistletoe? Huh? Well, I am definitely gonna dive deeper Into some of these things So maybe a Christmas project for me Is to do an episode on all the things That have been lost But let's revitalize them Like the kissing ball you know I was talking with some of my customers as I'm planning out my workshop and you know I just said the possibilities are endless if you guys have an idea for something that you want to do like let's put kissing balls together and make a workshop out of it I mean dried flowers there's endless opportunities with dried flowers and people just want to get together like I said and I feel like the holidays is a perfect example if you can try to cram it into a very busy holiday season but there's a lot of opportunity that people are interested in getting together and having that experience and really the possibilities are endless on what kind of workshop you could have so That's really cool. Thanks for sharing with us.
1: And I definitely feel like that's kind of I mean, isn't that our market anyway, focusing on that feeling of togetherness, whether it's growing flowers to give to someone or a Christmas wreath to spend the holidays in your home, you know what I mean? So finding those lost traditions, maybe that will be the next big thing for flower farms, Christmas tree farms is just kind of going backwards. We just keep rushing forward. But I think so many, like you said, so many traditions are lost now.
0: Well, and this is a soapbox of mine. Being a Christmas tree farmer myself, you know, I live in the Christmas tree capital of the world. And unfortunately, folks really just don't value the resource that we have here. So they feel like they should get it for dirt cheap. And, yes, you know, a Christmas tree takes on average 8 to 10 years to grow. So I'm sorry, but the farmers deserve to live earn a living wage <laughs> and uh, people need to value the price of that live tree and kind of going back to my point, you know, the artificial tree was created and it became a convenience factor, which I understand some people are allergic and need to have an alternative. We've seen a lot of you cuts come up in our area and there's been a lot of growth and just families wanting to get together, go cut their tree, have the hot cocoa. So if you can really like create this experience out of yeah. it and just really promote that experience that people want that connection. And so that's why I also, my husband, he's been farming Christmas trees since he was a little boy. And I just tell him over and over again, you guys got to do more marketing. You got to share your story more. Like that's where you've lost people is they don't have a connection to what it means um, to have a Christmas Christmas tree in your house and so I just encourage any kind of farmer to tell your story show people your process and they want to believe in you as much as they want to believe in the products. so if you don't mind diving into your Christmas tree journey I'd, I'd love to talk about Christmas trees because it's another
1: side of my farm absolutely so and I completely agree and that's why we well, I chose Chase has just kind of been there it all but I just loved the idea of tradition and it's just and that's what we even say about our farm is it's a modern take on a traditional farm because we want the experience we want to bring those families back and create that feeling of Christmas that I feel like is just so commercialized and lost now in today's world. So last year we planted about 1,200 and I think this year we're going to do about 900. We focus on Kinane, Conkler, and Fraser here. They're easy to grow here. I hate to say easy. Some people say Fraser is not but for us just with the way we have a lot of like nice sloped hillsides and the Fraser love it. So for us, we just are kind of going to eat that up because we're one of the only places supplying them that's wonderful. But we're hoping in the next like, like you said, it takes eight to 10 years. So in another maybe seven to eight years, be able to start offering. um, Of course, we're hoping to be able to have pre cut trees next year from local suppliers so that maybe we can start kind of bringing that tradition this way. Hopefully by then too, hopefully by the time our trees are ready to go, we can really get the choosing cut back. Um, We have friends with Tuckaway Tree Farm and we were helping them last year and learning really their business side of things. Chase was out there bailing and shaking trees. I was inside with Ashley. And it's so amazing to watch again, just because I mean, growing up, we used to have just the basic like out of the woods Christmas tree. And then my mom switched to artificial. I get it. It was the mind of like, it was easier and it was cleaner. But Chase and I just decided like, we don't want that. We want to just kind of have that tradition with Sawyer and be able to take him and choose a Christmas tree. And so that's why we're doing it. We just want to bring that tradition back here but just put a modern twist on it maybe a little bit of an upgrade but well and oftentimes folks they think like oh
0: Christmas trees that's easy to grow and uh, (laughs) they're not as easy as you think we actually have a crop out here at our place they're nobles and we got unfortunately just this downpour of rain like two years ago and actually folks from Oregon State University came out and inspected our field and it was a consistent thing throughout our county that essentially those trees their roots drowned because they were just so submerged in the water and so unfortunately we've seen them especially for the last two years just massive die off so it's when you raise something for seven years and then it finally decides to die like you want to you want to be heartbroken when one of your fields of flowers gets succumbed to bug damage that's only one year of growth this was seven years so there's a lot to the Christmas tree industry that needs to be more shared about because it's not easy work and I've been and I'm gearing up to help my husband with Christmas tree harvest and you're harvesting trees when it's cold, it's pouring down rain, sometimes snowing, it is not awesome conditions and those some of those trees, they're huge I had my son out there last year and he got the butt of the tree or he had the top of the tree and I had the butt of the tree and we're
1: trying to carry it to to the to the tractor, but it is a lot of work. <laughs> it is. And with the climate shifting so much, we're not sure what, what do you expect anymore. This year when we first started planting, we were hit with 80 degree weather and a complete drought. And we did, we lost a lot of trees despite our best efforts to water. A lot of our cananes died. Luckily by the time we got into Conklers and Frasers, we had some rain back. But those are just those things. Spring is used to always be consistently wet. It's not now. So even just those challenges are going to be really hard on the Christmas tree industry.
0: Excellent point. My husband had to build this device. We actually have a trailer and a water tank for wildfires and he created this like mechanism on it and we had to water our seedlings multiple times this year <laughs> because we would have lost the entire field because we've historically relied on the rainwater but it's been few and far between actually and also we've had to switch the vertical. Variety of trees were growing because, like the noble fir, which is super popular around here, but it just is so prone to disease and it's just not surviving successfully in our climate these days. So, just like with flowers, it's an ever evolving cycle. Well, that's super exciting that you've got such growth ahead of you. So, as you're coming into re season and starting to plan for next season, what does
1: next season look like for you? So next season, our big focus is going to be some kind of either a storefront, a barn, just get that up and really moving so that, like I said, to chase that way then as we're bringing pre-cut trees, as we're bringing, of course, the pumpkins out of the fields, we can start offering more. We can do workshops here. We can do so many more things. So just expanding that, I think, is going to be so big for us. Definitely expanding the dahlias and, like I said, peonies keep doing what we're doing of course with pumpkins and just looking forward to really getting to be more of a destination for the community rather than and I know our stand has been great and so heavily trafficked but a place even just off the road a little bit more so that's what we're really looking forward to this year is just having a place to really call home for our business
0: also growth means too just expenses and so I've <laughs> been trying to explain this to my husband too about just I'm wanting to develop my workshop but it comes with a cost too and so any advice that as you're kind of in this stage of growth or any strategies that you're using to continue to grow but then your husband's working you're at home like growing your business but not like going into severe debt over it. Any thoughts you'd like to share there? Because I'm kind of in this stage too, about how do I grow, but not grow myself into trouble?
1: So I guess my advice would be, and it's of course, almost against my way of thinking sometimes is just happy with slow if I could have last year I would have had a barn put up I would have been 10 years ahead of myself maybe it would have been the exact same thing maybe we would have had such a successful wreath season and pumpkins and all of the things that have been so successful but maybe it wouldn't have been so just kind of meeting myself where we're at right today and like you said you don't want to be so far in debt with your business that and of course it takes years to profit but you don't want to get yourself into a predicament where maybe you're going to get yourself completely out of the market because you went too fast and too hard. So just slowing down a little bit, I think we all want to be where the next grower is the next town over, but they probably had five to ten years ahead of us starting I love it that is excellent advice
0: this is where like Instagram is I have a love hate relationship with it is you know seeing people showing up with like a forklift full of tulip bulbs and I'm like yeah but I can't afford that and I know (laughs) that some would kind of beg to differ on that opinion but at the same time I'm like I'm not selling that many tulip bouquets to have a whole fork Lift of thousands upon thousands of tulips. So it's also knowing where you can expand and without kind of getting yourself into trouble, but also knowing that your journey is not the same as somebody else's.
1: And I so agree with, especially Instagram, it's so easy to see the brand new flower farm or the brand new Christmas tree farm. And I guess online in the pictures, social media just portrays everything as perfection. And I'm even guilty of that. I mean, this year I did post the one thing, like we, our pumpkins looked great. Our fields looked great, but what you didn't see was we were getting hit so hard with powdery mildew this year. We just, I think Sawyer and I were spraying like as much as we could. We were out there nonstop. It felt like just cutting the leaves back, doing what we needed to do. And yes, those people who have these beautiful farms I get how it could be enviable and I mean it still is okay to be but they're struggling too with their own battles that whether it's agricultural whether it's financial we're running the same race I guess we just sometimes we have a hard time seeing that that is so true
0: Kylie I just really appreciate your perspective and sharing your journey with us you've got your hands full and but it's so exciting to hear you know as a new farmer looking at the opportunities you have in front of you and just growing in the way that which well, you and your family can be successful
1: you mentioned that you're doing grad school on top of this so my mom just asked me this the other day too and And I hate to say grad school is a backup plan, but it is. I was so fortunate. My husband, he was active duty military, so I am going on his GI Bill. And what it comes down to is my husband and I always talk, and due to his career, and he does very well in the industry, that in order to truly have a full-time farm, he would need to quit to help me. And we just don't see that as being a possibility, truly, because that operation size, I don't even know if that's something we truly want but I would love to see myself just being able to at least be home part time so that I could be home with him. I can focus on the farm, still do what needs to be done. Honestly, I think I would have more time at that point in my life, but this place is not going anywhere. It's only going to continue to grow. And who knows, I guess, someday. Maybe it will be big enough that I can hire someone to do what Chase could do. But right now, we just where we're at, we love it. We love this small scale. And my hope is just to be able to do a little bit of everything, be a mom, be working in the public health education sector, doing some teaching, but then also being able to really focus on the farm. So kind of sounds like a lot still, but it's all I know. (laughs) Well, coming from a background myself
0: in healthcare, I recently had an opportunity to collaborate with our health network. And I was telling my husband, I'm like, it's like my two loves collided, the flowers and healthcare. And I just felt so much endorphins from that opportunity. And so I just love that you're on this journey to bring all of those worlds that make you you and happy. But I also love your advice of it's okay to be be on the smaller scale. You know, oftentimes I feel, I hear like, oh, be a six figure business and you have to be this big and have employees. But I think it's okay if you're okay with having a smaller scale operation. And that should be celebrated too. I think we all our individual journeys should be celebrated that it's not a cookie cutter industry at all from what you're selling to how you're selling it to how big or how little you are it is not cookie cutter and we just all need to celebrate our journeys and I think it's okay and somebody please say it's okay to be on the smaller scale and if you love your professional career outside of the farm but you still love your farm it's okay to have both it just may not mean that you've got this huge farm (laughs) that you can't manage yourself because you really can't do it all.
1: And I completely agree. Just as long as you're happy with where you're at and you're loving what you're doing and you're growing for you and you're growing for that the fun and the love of growing, whether you are making 10 bouquets a year or you're selling a thousand Christmas trees, I think it's just wherever you are content and the rest will come. I mean, we don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, that's why I'm home with my son. That's why we were able to jump into the farm we didn't know where life would take us after especially after my accident. So it's like, let's just do and see. And it doesn't all have to be today. I love it. Well, thank you so much. As we wrap up today, is there any
0: bit of advice or anything that I may not have asked you that you want to share? I didn't forget to ask you what your favorite flower is, but I have a feeling I kind of know
1: the answer. So well, my favorite flower is peonies. Of course, I feel like you probably knew that. And any advice, truly, like we already reiterated, just start where you are comparison and kills. And I've seen so many of my friends dreams in the farming industry get crushed just by watching other people and trying to keep up and just feeling defeated by other people. But as long as you love it, just keep growing. Kylie, where
0: can folks find you for inspiration? Or as you're growing your farm? um, How can they follow along and see your journey and sign up for some wreath making
1: classes?
0: Where can they find you?
1: So on Instagram, we are WHFarmsPA. On Facebook, we're Whitetail Hills Farms. And then our website is whitetailhillsfarms.com. And that also has our pre order for wreaths. Currently, we are not shipping, so if anyone has advice on wreath shipment, I would love to hear it because the expense of it is just crushing, but otherwise... We would love for you to check us out. Oh,
0: that's a whole nother topic about shipping products. Because <laughs> unfortunately, those certain big businesses that offer free shipping have really oh. crushed it in <laughs> like oh, oh, oh. the reality that folks have around um, the cost of things. Like, yes, it still costs me to ship that product. Also, can I please account mm. for my time in putting <laughs> it all together? Oh, don't get me started. This could be another uh, <laughs> episode on It needs to be shipping. another episode. <laughs> (laughs) Well, Kylie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Do you want to say bye? I just want to say thank you again to Kylie and thanks for giving me the opportunity to step out of our kind of normal program and allow me to talk all about Christmas trees. But I was really excited to hear Kylie's adventure with the pumpkins and the trees and even just selling her flowers wholesale to her local florist. But I really loved our conversation, especially about just bringing back so many of these lost traditions and techniques that have been lost over time. And as I explore my floristry business, I'm more eager to go to an antique bookstore and find some really cool floristry books where I can explore different techniques that may have been lost, but also other traditions. We talked about the kissing ball, for example. But why not reintroduce those lost traditions and put our own spin on it? So I just really, this whole conversation with Kylie just opened my eyes to so many different opportunities to explore and I just really thank her for her time. But I want to end this episode with a quote that Kylie shared and you know I've got my sticky notes and I'm adding Kylie's to the wall. What she said about you're growing for you. You got to love this. You got to enjoy this and if you have a profession outside of flower farming that you absolutely love but you love the flower farming too it is okay to do the flower farming at a smaller scale so that you can have kind of the best of all worlds and still be able to maintain your professional career so it was so good to talk to Kylie and I just thank her again and I hope you guys enjoyed our chat and we'll talk again soon take care friends well that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in to the conversation and together All boats will rise and local flowers will be blooming fabulous in all of our communities. So if you are a fellow flower farmer that want to join in on the conversation, please reach out to us to get you scheduled for a podcast episode. And if you're just listening in and enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, your family, and everybody you know. We really appreciate it. Thank you.